Welcome to the Team Building Podcast, where you'll learn how to build a dominant real estate team in your market. Featuring masterminds with team leaders and mega agents, plus in-depth interviews with operations managers and marketing directors of some of the top teams in the country. You'll learn the latest methods to generate and convert leads, streamline your operations, recruit and train better agents, and raise your profit. And now, here's the latest Team Building Podcast. What's up, everybody? It's Matt Johnson. We're back with another episode of the Team Building Podcast. We've got an amazing guest with us here today. We're going to jump into a bunch of deep topics, including uh, why you should go possibly independent instead of staying underneath a uh, brand or some sort of affiliation. We're also going to talk about what's going on in the coastal markets and how to potentially adjust. And uh, we've got a lot of stuff uh, to get into here. So let's uh, bring in, first of all, Jeff Cohn. Jeff, what's up today? Hey, what's up, guys? I'm super excited. Kyle, thanks again for coming on our podcast today. Uh, Matt, thank you as well for being here. Super pumped to have Kyle. The first time I remember connecting with Kyle, we were in a mastermind together in Charleston, South Carolina, and his numbers were impressive. Uh, His sales volume is always something to be jealous of. Um, I'm over here in Omaha sweating it out at like my average sales price is 189,000. And I'm sure Kyle will soon share with us his average sales price because I heard him tell, share uh, how many houses he sold last year. And I think they did almost 200 million in volume. So very impressive business that he has going. And Kyle, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell everybody a little bit about you and your brokerage. Definitely. So I run an independent brokerage in San Diego, California. Uh, we've been the number one team in San San Diego per the Wall Street Journal Real Trends two years in a row. When the official numbers get dropped in June, we should definitely be number one again. So now we're just working on climbing up that state list. So last year we were number six in the state of California, and now we're just trying to climb up and get to number one in the entire state. So last year we did uh, 193 million in volume, 386 transactions. So we averaged right around 500. And this year we're on track to do about 500 uh, 500 transactions and right around a quarter billion. I love saying a quarter billion because that just sounds badass. (laughs) If you can sneak the word billion in there, you're doing well. (laughs) Yeah. We're a tenth of a billion. I did a tenth of a billion last year. (laughs) So we have a race going. There's a lot of us brokers in California that run teams and we we have a race to a billion going right now. So we all want to be the first team to crack that. That's cool, man. Yeah. Awesome. All right, so Kyle, how many, how many agents are we talking about to do those 380 sides? Uh, about 20 agents. So pretty consistently over the last five or six years, we've run right around 20 deals per agent per year. So that's always our goal with our team. We grow really slow. We try to keep it tight, keep it intimate. I don't want to be the, the Keller Williams with 300 agents doing three deals a year. I like having 20. I can be super hands-on with them and keep everybody averaging right around 20, which is, is perfect for us. Yeah, I see that. And that's, that's really good. I mean, considering the average price point, which by the way, what is that before you escape on that? <laughs> um, so check this out. I used to do a lot of REO and short sale. So we had Fannie Mae and HUD and all that. Mm-hmm. So three years ago, our average price was 267. Last year, our average is right about 500. This mm-hmm. year we're at 520 on our closed deals and we're at 620 on our pending deals right now. So we're really trying to get that up closer to 550 this year. Yeah. And is that, is that a specific effort? Is that the market pushing that up? Or are you going after raising your sale price by going after some luxury? Going after luxury for sure. So we have our biggest deal ever in escrow right now, 3.675 million. So that's been a big push for us. Um, so we've done a big rebrand. We've really redone the way that all of our prints done, our colors, our logos, um, everything is nice and consistent, really classy feeling. Um, so that's been a big push for us. Cool, man. Very, very cool. 
Now, what, what do you say, Jeff? We dive into the conversation of brokerage versus team because I think always- that a lot of a lot of people want to hear this conversation. Obviously, you know brokers brokers' opinions on this, and I think there's a lot of team agents that are essentially running brokerages within brokerages, which is what you were just doing, Kyle, right. um, before you transitioned over. And I know one of the things agents are always hesitant on is one is the culture. So, what kind of culture shift do you experience? Obviously, number two is cost. Does the amount of money um, that it costs to run a brokerage and uh, transition to a brokerage really offset the amount you might've been paying your broker or capping with your previous broker. And then all the other little idiosyncrasies, like how do you sustain your team's culture, but still bring people in outside of your team to join the brokerage? How do you train those people and all of that stuff? So For sure. let's just kick it off first with asking, um, why did you switch? Um, so we started out as a team, you know, smaller, tight knit, five, six people team, but we've just grown and grown and grown over the years. I mean, our website, we're generating four or 500 new leads every single month and agents can only take on so many leads before they go overboard. In my opinion, 30 leads a month is kind of the ideal number of leads for an agent to get to where they still value them. Yep. Um, because if you give them too many leads, then they just kind of like, ah, whatever, screw this one. I got another one coming. So yep. I found 30 is kind of that sweet spot. So the more leads we generated, the bigger our team got um, and bigger and bigger. And then what started happening for me is a lot of those agents didn't need my leads anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they started just doing all their own production. And naturally, when somebody doesn't need the leads and they were on a lower split on those leads that you were giving them and they're doing all their own shit, they want a higher split now. And so I've kind of learned that over time that we've had to adapt to that. So we're kind of splitting our, our brokerage up now because we're really a brokerage now. We're more than a team. And in about two thirds of our agents will be more on an independent agent type model. Um, and then one third will be our true tight knit team where we can be super hands on with them. Um, one of the big things I've learned is when agents outgrow the team, when they don't need your leads anymore, they want to grow their own team. They want to be you. And you have two choices. You either cut the cord and, and send them out and tell them good luck, or you provide that growth plan for them, or it's like a graduate program, sort of speak. Yep. So you've got to provide that program for them. Otherwise they're going to go somewhere else. And for me, I've chosen to provide that graduate program for them. That's awesome. You know, it's interesting you share all of this because a lot of your numbers are consistent with the numbers we're always talking about. 30 leads per person is really that point of diminishing returns. And then giving that Rainmaker agent the ability to build a team. You've done that through the brokerage model. We're actually giving them that ability within my team. So I have about eight of my lead agents building teams within my team. And um, I think one of the things I've been thinking about recently is if I were to go the brokerage model, let's say it saved me 10%. Let's say my broker was taking 10% from me, which obviously trickles down. And I wanted to offset that and offer that Rainmaker agent 10% more. Where is that really an advantageous to me if I, you know, essentially I'm switching places instead of giving the broker the 10%, I'm giving the agent the 10%. Why would I want to make that shift? So did you ultimately do that? Did you shift that? percentage over to the, the lead agent when you re you know formulated that split structure with team agents? Yeah. So I brought somebody in, I call him my CBO and that stands for chief babysitting officer. So <laughs> nice. we all know we have agents. This is a team building podcast. These team agents are like freaking babies. I got an 11 month old downstairs right now and agents, you got to get them up. You got to, you know, get them out of bed in the morning Then you got to pack a bottle for them, which is like loading leads into their database. And then you got to give them those leads and you got to make sure they call through all of them. Just like a baby, they get halfway through the bottle, they throw it on the ground. You got to pick the bottle up, put it back in their mouth, make sure they finish the bottle before they go on to do anything else. 
at some point during the day, they're going to shit themselves and they're going to leave a big mess behind and you've got to go and you've got to clean up the mess behind them. So in my opinion, the sooner you accept the fact that that's what it's like managing agents, the more yeah. successful you'll be. Um, I find so yeah. many people, they're like, my agent's not doing this. My agent. oh, yeah. You're not alone. That's, that's every right. agent. Yep. So the sooner you accept it and come to terms with it and build a solution around it, the better off you are. So yep. I have a CDO um, and his job is training systems and accountability for my team. Now, is that for your team and your brokerage or just for your team? Primarily the team. So he's, you know, m majorly focused on the team, but he also kind of is a buffer for me too. When the independent agents have stupid questions, he can kind of filter some of that stuff so that I Good. don't have to deal with the dumb questions about yep. like, which form do I use for this? I don't have time yep. for that. So you mentioned one of the big value adds of your team was being able to generate leads to people. And I agree, that's one of the biggest value adds and that's what, what attracts a lot of agents to you. But obviously there's more than that. I know the way you run your business, um, I'm sure from a conversion standpoint and ultimately from transaction to close, et cetera, you guys have a lot more value than just the leads. So right. how do you continue to provide that same value if someone does leave your team and then they're at your brokerage? What are some value adds that you're still going to continue to provide to that agent? The biggest thing is all of the meetings that we do. Um, so we're really big. We do meetings every single week. And I've learned over time, my least favorite meeting is one where I stand up in front of the team for an hour and talk. Mm -hmm. I found that that's hands down the least productive type of meeting. So more than half of our meetings are brainstorming sessions where I'm literally a moderator. I'm not a speaker. Mm -hmm. And so my job is just to call on everybody within the company and just learn, like we just did one this past week on how are you getting your offers accepted? We're at a 13 year low in inventory in San Diego. It's a nightmare to get an offer accepted. Yep. So when you've got 20, 25 of the best agents in the county all in a room together, and whether it's my top agent or my bottom agent, everybody's willing to share. Um, so a lot of our meetings are really big on brainstorming. So whether it's a, a younger team agent or you know, a veteran indie agent, everybody's yep. sharing. It's very, very collaborative. That's awesome. So these are masterminds and these are for yeah. your agents and for any agent within your brokerage. Basically everybody within the company and is there obviously a, anybody we're trying to recruit Is there a to. set time every week that you hold those or is it just sporadic as the Tuesdays at 11. Perfect. Tuesdays That's awesome. at 11 and I'm really big on finishing by 12 because I want to respect their time. Um, yep. And we're big on the whole time blocking thing. So I want to make sure that they block off 10, you know, 11 to 12 every Tuesday. Yep. No bullshit, no excuses. Don't book appointments over it. I don't care sure. if it's a multi-million dollar client in town for a day only. Cool. You could start, you know, at one o'clock. Cool. Um, the so other big are... thing we do, um, we're really big on role playing. So we have role play calls five days a week, twice a day. So we have one at 8.30, we have one at 10.30. A lot of our agents like to get up early, get on the role play call first, then make their um, phone calls. And some of them like to make their phone calls first and then hop on role play afterwards. Um, and some people just freaking sleep in because they're lazy. Um, so we have two like options babies. for those guys, exactly. Um, and we do buyers Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and we do sellers Tuesday, Thursday, and we keep the same topic for the entire week. So instead of, I've seen a lot of people role play and they're like, what do you want to do on this call? And then they flip and then now you're the agent and they're like, all right, well, I want to do this topic. We do the yep. same topic for a whole week so we can really master it. So it starts out a hot mess on Monday, but by the time you get to Friday, you know, it's a lot more polished sure. um, and we're getting a lot better results. All right. So, so mastermind training, what other value add from a process management standpoint, what, what type of a uh, admin technology, something yeah. like that? So we've got an in-house media manager um, because of the volume we do, it doesn't make sense to outsource that stuff anymore. So all of our photo and video stuff is all done in-house. So the beautiful thing with that is one, there's uh, consistent quality. When you're outsourcing, you might get 
Billy shooting your property on Monday and then Johnny on Tuesday and yep. Sarah on Wednesday and they all take different pictures and some are good and some aren't. So we got sick of that. So we have it all in house. And what I did for my independent agents, they can use them. And what we did is took what's the industry pricing in San Diego and then cut that by 33%. Awesome. So now they get to use it. So there's a benefit to them because it's cheaper than if they were to go out in the market, but they're still getting top quality. Yep. Um, so my team agents, that's included for them, but my indie agents can use them and they just get a fat discount on that's it. That's awesome. One um, of the things we did with our team, we just set the expectation. Anyone on our team that lists the house has to use our videographer, our photographer, our stager. Yeah. And that's just a set expectation. And so yeah. we even, we pay for it up front to make it easy on them. And then when it closes or cancels, we then take a reimbursement from their okay. future commission checks. So totally. That's awesome. Uh, so out of everything you've said so far, there's nothing there that you weren't already doing. Right. So there's, it's not like there's any more pain by becoming right. a broker. What would you say is, I know you could, we could go on and on about the value conversation. What are one or two pain points you experienced in that first six months when you launched the brokerage? Um, Let's see the biggest pain points. You're to like, there was no pain, man. It was <laughs> only positive. Pain. Yeah, there's always <laughs> what about like, It's which, which is what stings the worst. One of the things that looms behind my head is our brokerage. We're with Berkshire Hathaway here in Omaha. They do an awesome job auditing all the files. So my yeah. admin staff packages it all in dot loop and make sure everything's in there. But then I know that from an auditing standpoint downstairs, they're always auditing all the files, checking to make sure there's no mistakes. If there are, they kick it back upstairs. Right. And then somebody from the state comes like every quarter or something and checks all the files. Wow. So did you have to add a person like yeah, that? Yeah, so we have sure? two because of our volume. So we used to have one. And then now as these teams have started growing their own teams, which is obviously picking their production up. So we now have to have two in-house TCs. Okay. Um, so they're both work in the office. Um, and they, the agents have to use our TCs. So we definitely had to add a second TC. Okay. Um, and they do everything like uh, some TCs are different, but ours, they're doing everything with escrow, with title, with the lender. Um, they're reviewing inspections, they're reviewing title yeah. reports. I mean, they're literally everything. So you, from you probably had to add one more and that's kind yeah. of what I've thought. If I were to do it, I'd have to add one more, you know, re receptionist slash transaction coordinator. Right. Yep. Exactly. Number two is office space is what I always right. hear, right? You're at the brokerage model, you're in their shell, but you had to leave that shell and go find your own space and pay for it. But right. most of us are already paying for the space anyways, right. when we're under the brokerage model. So that, right. is that how it was? Yeah. One of the cool side effects has been that these indie agents, if they want private offices, they have to pay for them. And in our area, they, the indie agents, cause they're growing their own teams. They want their own office for their team. So I'm bringing in one of my offices, I bring in $3,000 a month in rent from the agents. The other office, I bring in like $1,200 a month from the agents. So, I mean, I'm bringing in 4,200 bucks a month. So they're paying for their own just, space, just yeah, like a so broker would have their agent pay. And that's what you're doing. Yeah. So that's been really so that's cool. Offsetting so that's been, that cost. yeah. Yeah. So that's that's awesome. definitely been a big plus. So where's the pain? We want to hear the. <laughs> You're like, pain. like banging your head up against the wall and it's really hard. Cause if it's not like what's keeping people, what would you say were there like the two or three reasons you stayed um, with a broker? What were the big value? Well, I've always offer? been independent. So I worked with my dad on the commercial side for a while. And I think the, the biggest thing that people are scared of is that they take all the weight on their shoulders and all mm -hmm. the liability and all of that. I think that's the number one reason why most people are scared of it. Um, because you're, you have jurisdiction, you legally are responsible for anything stops that happens. With you. Yes, yeah. exactly. So I'm, I think that's the biggest thing that people are scared of, but there's, there's a reason insurances exist. Like there's a reason for, E and O insurance. There's a reason for, we even have this new 
one called EPL insurance, which is just in case people within the team sexually harass each other. Yep. Um, we even have, you know, there's literally insurances for everything yep. out there. So just get properly insured and you don't have to worry about all that stuff. Well, and train your agents to not screw stuff up. Right. And you probably won't have a lot of problems. You're doing a lot of deals. You'll have two or three problems a year, but it's, it's, it's inevitable. Yeah. Right. And you know, it's like my agents that do more production, have more problems, but right. You know, like the old song, more money, more problems. Like that's right. just what happens, dude. The more deals you do, right. you're naturally like you think, Oh, this one agent never gives me problems. Well, no shit. They don't do any deals. Of course right. they're not going to have problems. You got to do deals to have problems. Right. Um, and sometimes it's our bad, but you know, a lot of times it's the buyer's bad, the seller's bad, sure. the other agent, whatever the lender, there's all so shit that happens. Let me ask you this question. And I think a lot of top agents wonder how they would handle this. Um, I'm good friends with Greg Harrelson. He's in Myrtle beach. He's a century 21 agent. They did over 2000 deals last year and he still subscribes to the idea um, that he, that in, instead of building a brokerage where the agents are away from his team, cause he does have a team. He just always kept everyone under that team mindset. Right. And he says he doesn't treat any agent different that everyone's under on his team. So he said right. when he left his brokerage and to start his own brokerage and he left the brokerage, he just said, I'm going to take my team and I'm going to build a brokerage around my team. And when someone comes in, they're just on my team. They're not, there's not an option. And we had right. already talked a little bit before the call and you had mentioned people had the option of being out of your team or in your team. What's right. kind of the thought behind that? Um, so we've had that before. We've just recently restructured to kind of separate the two because the problem is you've got to be one or the other, the people that are in between that are, you know, getting a higher split on their own deals, but then they're getting a lower split on the leads that you provide them. What I found over time is they're just not going to put the same time, energy, effort into mm. your leads because they're not making as much money. Um, so I think that that's, in my opinion, is, is not the best strategy. You either got to be all in or you're all out. Um, so that's a big thing for us. I think when you muddy the waters, you get, you know, you muddy the results that way. So you, when you guys were just operating as a team, a majority of the sales that your team was experiencing were coming from the leads you generated. Correct. And, and then yeah. as they grow, the more business they do, we're really big on past client stuff. You know, we do four client appreciation events a year. Yep. So these guys start to churn, you know, the clients that were originally my lead, they start to build that lifelong relationship with them. And then right. they're coming back as repeat clients and referrals and they don't need all of my leads anymore. Right. And they're ready to cut the cord. Yep. So just to share with the audience, another opinion or thought process on this. And I totally see your perspective. Um, we decided to have a split structure, like Kyle pointed out for agents, when the deals came from their own sphere of influence or their own prospecting, and then another split structure for when the lead came from the team. And Kyle's absolutely right. As an agent becomes more experienced, has more time in the, in the business, they put less attention towards your leads and more attention to their own business. Totally. And so we've worked really, really hard to try to find additional value add other than just lead generation. He talked about their official babysitter, CEO babysitter, whatever. Uh, we call that our <laughs> success manager. That's a big value add for a high producing agent. You talked about time blocking. So we really help um, teach agents to time block efficiently and then respect their time block. Just because it's right. on a calendar doesn't mean you're going to do it, right? right? So to have someone hold them accountable to that. And then of course, contract to close and all the additional support that the office can provide. So we tried to find an environment where they could do both, but we have seen that as a pain point. And so I would recommend to anyone that is generating leads, when you see an agent not treating a lead the way that they should, you should take those leads away and not allow right. them to continue working your leads. Right. As long as there's a split structure in place where they still see value because of the increased split, then they're going to be happy. I think the dysfunction is when you think you can give someone, let's say a 50, 50 split on internet leads and that they're going to be happy doing that same split when a referral comes from a friend or family or, you know, right. the parents go to buy or sell a house or something like that. Yeah. So we've actually structured that out. And so with our team agents now, there's four different splits. So starting at the top is their own lead. So if they generated their friend, their family referral, whatever, it's 60, okay. um, 60% to them. 
then the next level down would be one of my leads, but one they converted themselves. So Zillow, we, I know you do Craigslist too. We still kill yep. it with Craigslist. Yep. Um, so that's our lead. Next level down is if the ISA sets the appointment. Yep. Um, and then the next level down is a handoff. So one of my personal friends, my family. Right. Do you mind sharing all the split? What's that? Do you mind sharing the split breakdown? So on it's 60, 50, 40, 30. Okay, perfect. So it just goes 10% on each. And what we do is yeah. our ISAs are calling my leads alongside the agents. And so if the ISA gets the appointment, then the agent's getting 10% less. So what that yep. does is it motivates the agent to make the phone calls because instead of them relying on the ISA to set the appointment for them and still making the same amount, they're actually making less if the ISA sets yep. it. I love it. So We're, there's a we, little bit more motivation for the agent to make that call and not let the ISA because they're going to make 10% more money on it. Yep. I think that's a great idea. I know there's a lot of teams that just came back from the, you know, Charleston Bur uh, Boomtown Unite conference. And they talked a lot about internal sales agents and virtual assistants. I even own a virtual assistant company yeah. and I still will tell teams across the country, I think you're best if you can teach your agents to convert the leads themselves and hold right. them accountable to it. But 99% of agents won't. Right. And in that instance, you use an ISA. And I think Kyle's model's perfect. That 10% makes sense. I've seen it as 5%, uh, but I think 10% makes total sense. I also think in a market where the average sales price is 500,000, a 60, 40 split makes sense off sphere. If you're in a market where the average sales price is half that, similar to mine where I'm at 209, you probably have to bump that to like a 70, 30, or even an 80, 20. Right. Um, and for our audience members who haven't heard our splits, we do an 80, 20 cap. So you have to, you start at a 60, 40 from your sphere. And then that increases 5% every million the agent does. And then once they hit 4 million or more, there's split sticks at an 80, 20, but 50, 50 is always the split. If it's a lead that we generate yeah. and we no longer provide the ISA or virtual assistant solution to our agents individually, but we've given them the ability to hire their own at a really decreased rate. Cause I own a call center. Gotcha. Yeah. The analogy that I use is the agent is like, like a baseball, you know, the season just kicked off. So the agent is the catcher. The ISA is the backstop. And if, you know, if you ever played baseball in a field mm -hmm. without a backstop, the ball goes past the catcher, rolls down the hill. It, it kills the whole game and slows everything down. So our ISAs are a backstop for us okay. to make sure that, that doesn't happen. Um, and another analogy I heard somebody use a long time ago, one of my coaches is if you think about like any department store, think about a Nordstrom's or Macy's, I think there's still a few around. Um, they have inventory. And in their case, the inventory is all of the clothing that they have and the shoes and all that crap. Mm -hmm. Well, they have an entire department dedicated to loss prevention, making right. sure that none of that inventory walks out the door. So I look at my ISAs as my loss prevention department, and I look at my leads as my inventory. Yep. So I need to have those ISAs there to make sure that, you know, just like in a department store, you can't count on a cashier to keep eyes on people and make right. sure nobody's walking out the door with a jacket or whatever. Right. Um, same thing. My ISA's job is to make sure that that same thing doesn't happen with the agent and have yep. a lead walk out the door and go so, use somebody else. Just so the audience can understand how that 10% applies. And I'm sure we could go way down a rabbit hole. Let's not get too crazy with this, but let's pretend like you were working the lead and you did a great job, but they decided not to do anything. Seven months later, you haven't called them back and they're in your archive folder. And finally, the VA has been calling once a month or internal sales agent. They get a hold of the lead, highlight it and send it back over to you. Does the 10% yep. now apply? Yep. Yeah. Okay. And so the ISAs aren't calling their hot leads. They're not right. calling like in booms. They're not calling their hots and their nurtures. They're calling the stuff the agents aren't connecting. With. Archive trash. Or, yep. yep. Cool. Yeah, How many, so um, if you, I forget you're with Boomtown so we can do some yeah. Boomtown talk, <laughs> um, but probably half of our audience is actually on Boomtown. 
what percent, or sorry, how many leads do you typically allow team agents to have in their all active categories, which are hot nurture watch? The thing is our ISAs are diving in and calling the leads that are in their categories okay. anyway. So I'm not so as concerned matter. about it. We used okay. to actually transfer them out of the agent's account, but we were spending so much time on that crap. Moving and we leave ways. it in there and that way both of them are calling at the same time. Yeah. So instead of taking it away from the agent, we leave it in there, yeah. but the ISA is just diving into their account and pulling leads yeah. out and we, putting it into Mojo. We do the exact same thing with the VA. Um, we have all these expectations of how often an agent should reach out independent of which category they're in. So like for nurture, as an example, every 15 days, watch every 30. If the agent hadn't hit that 15 day mark, uh, the virtual assistant then had to make up the gap. Yeah, Instead of totally. going to the agent saying, hey, what the heck? We just said, all right, if you're not going to hit the gap, then you know, the backstop analogy you. was perfect. Yeah. It's, you know, it's there. It's not as good as yeah. the catcher, but it's there just in case. Right. Totally. So that's awesome. Matt, what else have we talked on on this topic that you think the audience is wishing we would ask Kyle about? Well, I wanted to go back a little bit to the restructuring, Kyle. You're talking about, you know, the difference between your team agents and your, your, what you call indie agents. So the question is like, you kind of created this in, in answer to the question of how do you create a bigger vision and a reason for your more experienced agents to stay? But is that the only people that end up being indie agents or are you also bringing people that just want to come in and do their own thing? And how do you separate that out from the team? Yeah. So we're bringing, you know, when we're recruiting agents, we never know which path is going to be best for them. So we'll talk to even, you know, new agents coming from other brokerages and for some of them going the team routes better for some of them going the indie routes better. It just kind of depends on their goals and, and what they're looking to do. Um, but most of the agents that are coming in that we're recruiting are the higher producing agents. Was I've always found is if you can get one or two A's, there's going to be 10 or 15 B's and C's that will follow them. Um, so I try not to go out and recruit as much B's and C's. I focus my time more on the A's. Um, but then when we go and we have a conversation with them and talk to them, they're like, well, I might be able to bring three or four other people over. And sometimes those three or four other people that are B's and C's might be a better fit for the team. So by getting one good indie agent, I get three or four, you know, potential team agents that come aboard. Um, so that's always been awesome. really cool for us. What does indie stand for? Is that individual? Just independent. Or independent? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's Perfect. How many agents there. right now do you have that are indie and how many are on your team? Uh, six on team. And then that would make about 18. I think we're up to 25 agents total. So 18 okay. plus myself on the indie. So what's the indie split structure? Are they capping at 64? So we're running, we're basically mimicking Keller Williams model. Clearly that shit works. I mean, what is it <laughs> to like 200,000 agents now? I don't even know. Yeah. It, so it clearly works, them. right? So 70, 30 cap at 25. Uh, cap, we cap like a that. little bit higher just because we feel that we bring more value than a Keller Williams does. So we're capping okay. at 35. Okay. Um, and then half caps for all their team members for sub agents. So simple. Yep. It, um, for a sub agent, does that apply to anybody part-time full-time admin? Anybody who's producing that's licensed. Okay. Yeah. So cool. anybody they bring on when they do a deal, you know, this, the caps coming off there. Are their you, are you capturing a broker commission or broker fee at all on no. uh, your, your team? No. Or your... So that's part of our value proposition is, you know, you might be able to go over to some of these other big brokerages and they'll tell you they're giving you 90, 10, but they're really not giving you 90, 10 at right, the end of the day, it's, it's freaking 80% or less. So no fee on the closing to the client either. Uh, we charge 400 per transaction. Okay. Um, and that includes our TC, which again, our TCs yep. are in-house, they're on salary. Um, and they can charge their agent that 400 or they pay it if they don't charge their agent. Okay. And you're but charging that to your indies and to your the to agents on deal. your team. Yeah. 400 per deal. So okay. if you and think can about, they charge more than that? No. You wouldn't allow an indie agent that's building a team to charge 600 and keep the 200. I feel like that would get tough if somebody, if they knew you were only paying a $400 fee and you charge 600. Well, what if they had their own admin? That's the argument, right? They yeah. Have to, 
I've heard, so the reason I'm asking these questions is this is the experience I'm having, right? <laughs> so my agents that are building these big teams are like, well, hey, now I hired an admin. You right. charge, uh, we charge $5.99 on the buy and $9.99 on the sell. They're asking me if they can increase it. And so my position is yes. As long as you can show the value and you do it on every transaction, right. I have no problem with it. So. Yeah, I would just think about if somebody sued, like it, the agents could show if they ever got sued, yep. like, hey, I have to pay my brokers yep. a $400 fee. That's why my buyer is paying it for me. Um, but if you were charging 400 and they were charging the client 600, I don't know an attorney, right. if they sunk They'd have to be able to that. show the value. Yeah, so. that could be a tough argument. What other fees are there on a transaction from the brokerage side? Cause I know a lot of brokers do sneak little fees in there. So do you start off at a 95, five or anything like that? Or is it the true hundred percent? It's we're talking 60, 40. Right. For the team or for the indie agents, it's 75, 25, they cap at 35. The only fee they pay is that 400 per transaction. And then they're paying for office space if they want it. Okay. So That's what it. about the, the agents on your team? When you say 60, 40, it's truly the 60 off the gross commission or there's no cut your brokerage takes before that. Right. Yeah. I don't, I'm not a fan of that. I know that there's people that do squeeze a little bit, you know, yeah. more out of it here and there. I'm just not a fan of that. And I think that's part of my value proposition is that I don't do that. Dude, your splits um, are so do. simple. Yeah. The biggest mistake companies make, and I even think Keller makes this mistake is it's confusing. You talk about right. all these different scenarios and it's just confusing. If you can just say right. 60, 40 off the gross. Yeah. That's easy for an agent to calculate. So right. yeah. I think that's Keller Williams, awesome. It's like you got this much going to international and then this much going to franchise royalty. Oh, all the, that then like the profit share. Ask yeah. a KW agent how they make money on profit share. Yeah. Like it's, that, crazy. it's always a good laugh. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm not talking about like my friends yeah. that are like the high level ones. They know how to right. explain it. But the average agent, you need to build a foundation that says simple as the baby that's in the organization that, so exactly. that they can understand it. Otherwise, yep. scratch everything and start over. Yeah. So, and I think it's crucial everybody be on the same splits. When you start playing favorites oh, yeah. and this guy's on this and Special this guy's on that, you're, you're screwed. Yep. Um, I think that's just a recipe for disaster. Yep, totally the agree. question is, only going back to the broker's question, like Kyle, I mean, you've been in the game as a broker for a while, but obviously there's a lot of, like there's a reason that brokers are doing this, like the squeeze and the extra fees. Is it just, are they just trying to make up the profit margin? Um, because of, for, let me give you an example. So I talked to, uh, so on Greg Harrelson's podcast, we interviewed the CEO of Century 21. His perspective on it is that agents should stay underneath the brokerage because a brokerage ends up costing a lot more than agents believe it does. Because once you get into the brokerage, you realize there's so many ancillary costs right. that your percentage is way more than what the agents are actually paying if you went out and did it on your own. Right. So is it just like, are you seeing some things coming down the pipe that might change that to where you might have to change your splits or increase your fees? Or are you better at planning for the future and, and not having to squeeze those extra fees out of your agents? Yeah, I don't feel that we need to squeeze the fees. What we've been working on a lot is I have ownership in an escrow company now, um, looking at starting up a net mortgage branch right now. Um, we've got a lot of vendor partnerships with, you know, other service providers out there. Um, you know, that bring in a lot of extra money into the brokerage that, you know, that we reinvest into it. So instead of nickel and diming my agents for that stuff, because we have, I can go to any vendor in town and be like, look, we're going to do 500 transactions this year. Do you want a piece of it? Yep. And, you know, then we work out something that's, you know, compliant, of course, um, but that's mutually beneficial as well. So yep. instead of nickel and diming my agents for it, then I go and hit vendors for it. Yep. I'm an open book on my splits and I, I'd like to share them with the audience. Cause I don't think I've talked on this a lot, Matt. I know this is something I go in depth in um, at my workshop here in Omaha through elite real estate systems. But um, my broker with Berkshire right now has us at a 94, six, they keep 6% on everything. So when I talk my splits with you guys, 80, 20 and 50, 50, that's after the 94, six. Right. So really the 80, 20 is a 75, 25, right? 
So, and then so on and so forth. So we also have to pay them $250 an agent up to 10 agents. So $2,500 a month on that, $999 to have the 94-6 split. So it's $3,500 a month to be a hundred percenter, which is really 94-6. And then they keep a $250 broker fee up to 400 transactions. But when it all boils down, (laughs) last year I gave them about 300 grand. So when you make the decision, anyone listening to this, it's not that hard. Take your broker model, whatever your split is and your structures with your broker model and create a calculator in Excel so that you can just punch in a number of unit sales and volume and figure up next year if you did X amount of deals, how much you're going to give your brokerage. Then create another Excel spreadsheet that figures in if you started your own brokerage, what cost would you incur that you're currently not? And this is the conversation is when you get as big as Kyle and how big my team is right now, I'm running a brokerage already within my brokerage. And so the money that my brokerage used to offset for me now really doesn't because I've built all of that up within my organization. I have the trainers, I have the success managers, I have the operations, I have admin, all this stuff. I'm a brokerage within a brokerage. So I start looking at it and I say, okay, where am I getting, what's the 6% for? Where's that 400,000 going? And so today I believe it is the culture. If you came out and saw our office, it's our office space, which attracts millennials. It's the national brand, which helps me talk about my training company and my coaching company and all these other things. But if I didn't have a way to monetize nationally, I don't know that I wouldn't do exactly what Kyle's doing in his own local market. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's the way that I see people squeeze value out of being with the big brokerages. I mean, with Keller Williams, Ben Kinney could sell poop on a stick and people would buy that shit literally right now. I mean, that's what happens is like, once you become the guy within, you know, that brokerage and you're right. at all the speaking events, people buy anything. So there's, that's why there's so many Keller Williams people selling stuff because, right. you know, they, well, they sell is, coaching, they sell products, they sell yeah. workshops, they sell expansion yeah. now. Oh yeah. But you know, not everything. only does Keller sell that, but even, you know, if you're an agent within Keller and you can come up with an idea and then you get on stage with Gary and right. pitch it, there's right. 10,000 lemmings in the room and right. probably 5,000 of those lemmings are going to jump off the cliff with you and buy whatever it is that you're selling. So right. there is a way to squeeze more value out of the brokerage, you know, like you have an extra service. So you're finding a way to get value out of that. Right. Um, so that's if that one wasn't way there and you weren't getting value. And there's a lot of people listening to this that don't monetize anything other than their sales and their team. And they don't feel like their brokers provide value, I would highly recommend go and find another broker or consider starting your own brokerage. Cause as Kyle shared with us, it's really not that hard. It's going to t- mm-hmm. take some time, maybe upfront if you're not a broker yet, or don't have someone to be the designated broker on paper. Yeah. But other than that, if you're already paying for office space and admin and all these other things, it's not yeah. that big of a transition. Yeah. And it's not like those, you know, you put out that many fires that it takes that much time. And in all honesty, does your broker really that good at helping you put out fires? By the time we don't call our, our level, broker, you don't call your broker because right. you can probably handle the situation better than your broker. Right. Because your broker hasn't done a deal in 15 years. Right. They call so the CBO probably, when they have yeah. questions. Just CBO, right? <laughs> exactly. So yeah, it's, it's just a big limiting belief that a lot of people had. I just went to a Tony Robbins event. I know we were talking earlier. Um, and a big thing is just crushing those limiting beliefs. And I think people are scared about the money and they're scared about the liability. And yep. if they can get over those two things, they can be a lot more profitable. And yep. the cool thing is I don't have any intention of selling my brokerage anytime soon, but I get calls all the time. So just like a good agent's getting recruiting calls, I'm getting mergers and acquisitions calls, which is yep. it's just a really cool thing to That's a good that point to talk that. about is the, the valuation. I'm glad that popped up because I forgot to re- bring that back up. But there's a great podcast uh, that Patrick Lilly goes through on uh, with the person that runs Real Trends. I can't remember his name right now. Matt, Steve Murray. Can, there you go. Thank you. Yeah. And they talk about the ways to value and how there's a community team, a CEO team, and then obviously you have a brokerage. A brokerage is always going to, hopefully we'll see a three to five X return. Even the best team in the country, people say is only going to be like a one or two X. Right. One strategy though, I will share with team, team leaders that do want to sell eventually 
eventually, but don't want to start a brokerage today. It's not that hard when you're ready to sell your, your team to go and sign up with a brokerage brand that you think is going to be the easiest to sell in your marketplace. So you can, when your team's 150 people and you're ready to sell it, go sign up with Century 21, Remax, Keller, whatever the case might be, run it for 12 more months, and then you can still sell it. So right. I've talked to a couple of team agents about this. They're like, oh yeah, that's a really good point. So if you can go from a 1X to a 5X by becoming right. a brokerage the last minute and then selling it off. And the right. hard thing about selling the team is there's no one really to go and take it over. Whereas right. when it's your brokerage, Kyle, that you're running in San Diego and or any other independent or franchise, it's a lot easier for someone else to come and help take you over. So Yeah, I feel like if you have, a, like obviously Keller Williams is, is the ex example. They have tons of these massive teams, but who's going to come from outside of Keller Williams and buy one of those teams because no they are totally entrenched in the KW culture. Yep. So Systems, nobody's going to come everything. in from Technology, Berkshire. Technology, it's all and, KW. Yeah, so nobody's going to come into a Keller Williams and pull a team out and take them to Berkshire and think that everybody's going to stay. They're going to, you know, the turnover is going to be significantly higher. So that's the beauty of being independent is that, you know, there is none of that. You are the culture. So then it's just merging those two cultures together. It's not actually taking somebody out of, you know, an entire brokerage culture and teaching them a new one. It's really yep. just merging the two. Yep. Awesome. Love it. Guys, I think that's a wrap, man. I don't know. I, this is probably one of my favorite podcasts that I've done. This is a, a conversation that isn't usually had. And that's mm -hmm. the whole point of our team building podcast. We want to talk about things that aren't usually talked about on a typical Rainmaker podcast. You saw Kyle and I did not talk about how to generate leads and how to convert leads and how to follow up with our friends and family. That's not the level we're at here. So I really appreciate it, Kyle. That was a fun conversation. Totally. Is there anything else you want to add? Is there a way our listeners can get back in touch with you if they have questions or referrals or are interested in joining your team in San Diego? Yeah, definitely. So we now have three offices across San Diego. So we pretty much cover the entire San Diego County. We also cover parts of Southern Orange County and Riverside County. So if anybody's got buyers, sellers looking to make a move in those areas, we'd love the opportunity to help out. Or if you're in one of those areas and you want to learn more about the different opportunities, the team version we've got, the indie version of that we've got, we'd love to talk to you and just show you what we have to offer because we're definitely looking to grow. We're always looking for talented people. Um, and as you guys have heard, I mean, we're averaging 20 deals per agent per year consistently for year in and year out. So there's no flash in the pan, like a lot of people that have a big year and then fall off the next year. So you know, if somebody awesome. wants to get in contact, definitely find me on Facebook, find me on Instagram, or just call and text me 858-699-3895. Boom. There it is. How, how's that for authenticity? I love it, man. <laughs> I never hear people do that. I love that. Um, and like I, guys, I don't just agree with people. I usually want to disagree. There's more value in the conversation to disagree. And pretty much almost everything I heard Kyle say, I don't want to say everything just in case there's something I did disagree with that I didn't remember, <laughs> but pretty much everything. He is spot on. He's the type of person you're going to want to follow. So if you're in the San Diego area, that's where I would want to be. I'd want to be, you know, with Kyle's company, learning from them, growing with them. The split structure seems super fair to have a cap. Are you freaking kidding me? So go check that out if that's something uh, you guys are wanting to do and you're in that area. Otherwise, I'm sure 25% referral fee is pretty much the norm. That's what 25 we will pay 30 on a listing. 30% referral fee on a listing if you guys have one for Kyle. So thanks again, Kyle, for coming on. And then I always need to mention, if you haven't come yet, come and check out our team building workshop. We host it once a month. We have some really awesome events coming up on May 5th and May 6th. Uh, we're hosting a workshop on May 5th, and then we're going to go listen to Warren Buffett speak on May 6th. Warren, I think, is like 85 years old. This could be one of the last times he ever speaks. And he spends over two hours not only speaking to the audience of 100,000 people, but taking questions and doing questions and answers about 80 different businesses. The guy's a genius. People will ask very specific questions about some random company that Berkshire owns, and the guy is ready um, and willing to share an answer in front of this whole audience. 
And then they bring in all 80 companies they own and they have booths where they sell their products at cost. And so I'm gonna have a ticket for everyone, no additional cost to come to this. Normally I charge $29.97 for my workshop. I'm making this event $14.97 and you can bring a guest that gives you access to my workshop. It gives you access to the speaking event with Warren Buffett. That also gives you access to my Google Drive with all of our intellectual property. If you can't make it in May, we're gonna have an event in June. If you like baseball, the College World Series is hosted in Omaha. It's one of our claims to fame, and we are gonna invite people to come out to our workshop and go see a baseball game of the College World Series. So stay tuned for that. You can find all this information at our, our, our my on my workshop link, jeffworkshop.com, or of course, eliterealestatesystems.com. That's right. Cool, guys. Remember to uh, subscribe to the show, iTunes, YouTube, or Stitcher, depending on whether you want the audio versions and keep up with us that way. We've got some, uh, always have amazing uh, guests in the hopper. So, guys, thank you so much, Kyle. This is awesome. Exactly what we had in mind. Super in-depth conversation. We really appreciate it. And uh, for everybody that's listening and watching, thank you so much, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, guys.